Okay, so our text this morning, if you have a Bible with you, or if you would care to turn uh, in your, the, the Bible provided for you in the pews, to Luke chapter 10. We begin reading at verse 1. Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 24. Yeah, Luke chapter 10. Verse. We continue through uh, the gospel of, of Luke. This is, we've been, we've been working through this really since the beginning of, of, of Advent, and we're going to go all the way beyond Easter to the, to the story of, of, of the Ascension. We're not doing every single passage. We're picking out uh, little bits here and, and there. And, and my, my hope, my prayer is that as we've journeyed through and continue to journey through this gospel, uh, we'll, we've, we're beginning to develop a, a clearer picture, a fuller picture, a more intimate picture of, of who Jesus is. Jesus traveled along with his disciples, or they traveled along with him, however you want to, to envisage that picture. And he walked alongside them day by day for a particular period of time. And it's my hope that as we journey through the gospel, we'll come to know Jesus in a way like the disciples came to know him. And as their lives were utterly transformed by him, it's my hope, it's my prayer, that we will be utterly transformed in our encounter with Jesus. Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Jesus had just talked about the cost of, of following him. This is what we looked at on uh, Ash, Ash Wednesday. For those of you that were here on Wednesday morning or Wednesday evening, we talked about the cost of following Jesus, what it means to follow after him. And then he goes into, we go into this passage right here. After this, after that discussion, the Lord, the Lord appointed uh, 72 others and sent them ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not... It will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what's set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you, and you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to the heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one 
who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. Don't rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks to God. Let's enter into this story just for a wee minute and see what's going on here. We've got, uh, Jesus has talked about the cost of, of following him. He says to, to all those who are listening to him at the previous passage, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. So there's this idea of what it looks like to follow Jesus. There's a cost involved. A cost of giving up ourselves and handing ourselves over to Jesus. Placing ourselves into the, into the hands of the Lord. And there are those who heard that call and responded to that call. And as they responded to that call, we find ourselves in the story that we're in today. We find not just the 12, but we find this number 72. 72 people who have responded to the call of Jesus. And Jesus pairs them all up and he sends them off and he gives them some very, very specific charges. We don't know exactly the message that they were given, um, but part of the purpose of what they were supposed to do was to go into these towns, to dwell in these towns, uh, to get to know the people there, to find those who uh, are, are people of peace, people who love the Lord, and to go and, and live in their midst, to serve in their midst, to work in their midst, to prepare them for the coming of the Lord. That's what the story is all, all about. And there's a, there's, a, there's a place between, there's actually two stories we read today. There's a place between these stories of this indeterminate period of time We've got Jesus sending them out, and then there's a blank, and then they come back to Jesus. We don't know how things really went. We don't know what exactly went on. We can imagine, because we get a little clue in the last few verses of the passage, we find the disciples, or the, the, the 72, coming back, and gosh, when they come back, they're, 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 they're excited. They're pumped. They're full of, 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 they're full of themselves. Jesus, you sent us out and look what we can do. All these spirits, all these demons, all these powers of this world, they listen to us. Well, it's in your name, of course, but they listen to us. We've got this power that we've been wielding and we love it. It's absolutely brilliant. This is a big weekend for Marvel, right? I'm a big fan 
of the, the Marvel movies. I've got my, I've actually got my Captain America socks on today. <laughs> That's not significant in any way, shape or form. They were at the top of the drawer. Anyway, um, it's a big weekend for Marvel. They brought out um, uh, another of their, their movies in this, in this continuing uh, Marvel um, uh, cinematic universe, Captain America, Captain, Captain Marvel. We've already spoken about that a wee bit with the with the children this morning. But there's, a, there's one of the movies that, I'm, or one character in particular that I have always liked, since I was a little boy, even before the, the movies came out. I didn't read a lot of comic books, but there was a TV a cartoon series, a live action series back in the early 80s as well, with this particular character. Spider-Man, Peter Parker. Little geeky little boy, who was always being beaten up in school. He had the glasses and everything. Right? You can see why I like Spider-Man. Uh, so Peter Parker was just this nobody. He's bitten by a spider and he's given this, this power. He can climb walls. He's a really smart guy, so he makes this, this webbing compound and he shoots his webs. Um, he, uh, his life is utterly transformed when he has this power that he's, that he's been given by being bitten by this this uh, radioactive or chemically enhanced or genetically modified spider, depending on which of the, which of the stories that we're familiar with. So um, Peter Parker has a beloved uncle, his Uncle Ben. He loves his Uncle Ben. He's, he's raised by his Uncle Ben and his Aunt May uh, uh, in Queens, New York. And he spends, uh, he spends his days with them and absolutely loves them. Uh, his Uncle Ben is a very wise, wise old man. And in the beginning of the story of, uh, of Peter Parker, of Spider-Man, ben, Uncle Ben notices some changes in Peter. And Peter's keeping his secret identity secret, because that's what superheroes do. They keep, I could be a superhero and none of you would know. They keep their, they keep, but I don't have a name that has uh, uh, alliteration. If you're going to be a superhero, you have to have an alliterative name, right? Peter Parker. Bruce Banner, and so on and so forth. Anyway, um, so I, I couldn't really be a superhero. I don't have the right name to be a superhero. But Uncle Ben notices some changes in, in Peter. And one of the things he does, he sits down with Peter one day, and he says to him, Peter, I want you to know something. I want you to remember something. It seems like you're changing. It seems like in life, you know, things become more and more transformative. And it, uh, I don't know what changes are going on in you, but there's one thing I want you to remember. I always want you to remember this. Who knows the line? With great power, power comes great, comes great responsibility. responsibility. With great power comes great responsibility. That's what Uncle Ben says to Peter. And then Peter does something really silly. He uses his power to try and make some money. He becomes a wrestler. And he becomes, there's, there's all kinds of things happening. His Uncle Ben, because of some decisions that Peter makes to use his power um, uh, without responsibility, his Uncle Ben ends up being killed. His Uncle Ben ends up dying. And from that moment, Peter's life is utterly transformed. That line echoes through the rest of his life. With great power comes great responsibility. In this story, we find the disciples have great power. 
They can do all kinds of things that they've never done before. They're, they're, they're healing the sick. They're giving sight to the blind. They're making the lame walk. They're setting people free from demons and all kinds of things. It's a, it's a story all about power. And they come back very full of themselves. And Jesus essentially says to them, guys, with great power comes great responsibility. He says, you're so full of yourselves. You're so full of this power that you have. You're rejoicing in the power that's yours and the transformation that's yours. You're be- it's, it's all become for you about being something and about being someone and wielding that power. And Jesus says, stop. Don't rejoice in that. That power's fleeting. That power's nothing. It's where that power comes from. That's the thing that you should be rejoicing in. And where does that power come from? It comes from belonging to God. Jesus said, don't rejoice in the power that you have. Rather, rejoice in the fact that your name's are written in heaven. What does that mean? Your names are written in heaven. Well, we get a wee bit, I think, I think subconsciously, I don't think we think about this consciously, but there's a, there's, there's, there's a character that we have in our um, corporate, in our cultural imagination that writes down our names somewhere. In one of two places, He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And we have a tendency to conflate God and Santa Claus, don't we? Don't we think that sometimes? When we think about our names being written somewhere, is God putting us on the nice list? Or is God putting us on the naughty list, no. <laughs> what list are we on? That's kind of what we think about when we think about our names being written in heaven. Well, that's not at all the image that's being used here. The whole idea of someone knowing our name, first of all, it says that that person loves us, or it says that that person has power over us, or it says both. That person knows our name. That person knows us intimately. If you know someone's name in the ancient world, you knew that person intimately. You had ownership of that person. That person belonged to you in some way. So, In this passage, when it talks about our names are written in heaven, it points to the fact that God knows our names. Heaven's the dwelling place of God, okay? That's what that means. Our names are written in heaven. Our names are with God. Many of us in our insurance, home insurance policies, we have a a, a place where we can write down a list of things that are of particular value to us. Things that we 
would be devastated if, if they were lost. Things that could never be replaced. Okay? There's almost a sense in which we read this passage, our names are written in heaven. If we think about that type of image, as we put those precious things in our insurance uh, documentation, the things that are most precious to us, we are exceptionally precious to God. He holds us as of the highest value. He loves us. He absolutely adores us. We are precious to him. Rejoice not in the power that you have. Rejoice not in all the things that you have. But rejoice in the fact that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in the fact that you are loved by God. That you are known by God. That you are precious to God. Well, how can we be sure that our names are written in heaven? How can we be sure that we are loved by God, that we belong to God? How can we be sure of that? That's a question that folks ask all the time, isn't it? How can I know? How can I know my eternal destiny? How can I know I'm really a child of God? There's a a preacher, a teacher who died a few years ago, R.C. Sproul, who, who spoke about this. And, and, and he framed it in this way. I'm going to share this with you. This is, this is helpful, I think. He said people would often come to him and ask him about their, what you might call, assurance of salvation. Do I really belong to God? How can I know that I belong to God? And he tells a story that whenever somebody would come and ask him that question, he would say, I always ask him a question back. In fact, I ask them three questions. First of all, I say to them, if you want to be sure that you are a child of God, ask yourself this, do you love God perfectly? Oh no, I don't love God perfectly. I'm very, very imperfect. I don't even love my children perfectly. I don't even love my wife perfectly. My love is very, very broken. My love for God is horribly, horribly broken. I don't love God perfectly. There's no way I can love God perfectly. Does that mean I'm not a child of God? Then he asks a second question. Do you love God to the very, very best of your ability? No. I don't love God to the best of my ability. Not all the time. Sometimes I try to love God to the best of my ability, but I fail. As much as I can't love God perfectly, I, I stumble and I fall again and again and again. And my imperfection keeps me from even loving God to the very best of my ability. And so the person seems to become even more hopeless. Does that mean I'm not a child of God? And then he asks a third question. Do you love God at all? Oh, yes. Oh, I do. I love God. I'd love to be able to love him perfectly. I'd love to be able to love him with, with all that I am to the very best of my ability. But I can say that I love God. To which Sproul responds. That's the wonder 
That's the wonder. And that's the assurance that you belong to God. You see, the reality is, apart from the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Scripture speaks about us being God's enemies. We are at enmity with God. Read Romans chapter 5. We are God's enemies. Roman In Romans, Paul talks about there is no one who is righteous. There's not one. We are all far from God. We are all distant from God. And our natural inclination is to want to have nothing at all to do with God. And the fact that we love God at all is testament to the fact that the Holy Spirit has done the work of rebirth in our lives. The Holy Spirit has done the work of transformation. And it's the promise that we belong to him. Friends, don't rejoice in all that we have. Don't rejoice in what seems like power in some way, shape, or form. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You belong to God. If you are unsure of that, turn to him. Trust in him. And know that you love him as imperfectly as you do. Turn to him with your heart. And he will transform you. And you will be his. May you know that for sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.